Hallelujah. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, if you would, to Mark chapter 11, talking on the prayer of faith this evening. And uh, there's much to cover, so let's get right into it, if that's okay. We'll bypass the jokes and the preliminaries. And um, Mark chapter 11, and we see the prayer of faith listed here in verse 24. What's, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Whatever you desire. <laughs> what a massive statement. Whatever you desire. Whatever you desire. Now, you know, use wisdom in terms of where your faith measures at. But whatever you desire. And the Holy Ghost will lead you according to your measure of faith. So if you're praying for something and he knows you can't handle it, either in the acquiring or the maintaining, because you have to be able to handle both of those things, he'll just prompt you. He'll just say, no, not right now, or no, lower that a little bit. So just go with that prompting. Amen. But whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them when you pray is what the Greek says. Believe you receive them. That means right then, believe, have faith, claim it, take it now, take it at the time you pray. You don't see it yet, but you're taking it when you pray. And you shall have them. Now that's God's side of the coin because you can't make it manifest, but God can. So there's a, there's a gap, if you, if you look at it from that perspective, there's a gap between the statement that believe you receive them and then, there's, then there's, a, there's a pause and you shall have them. But sometimes there's a time that passes between those two statements. Because when I take it by faith and I believe I receive it, I don't necessarily see it that same day. Sometimes I don't even see it that same year. There's things Jenny and I have been believing for for 20 years. We still haven't seen it. But don't let that discourage you because there's many things we have seen. And there's some things that we see the same day we pray. And there's some things we see <laughs> the same week we pray. But, but don't let the, the time discourage you. It's just you just hold you to stand your ground. Because some things are big things and it takes a long time, not just for God to do it, but to prepare you for it. Yeah, there's appointed times. Right? There's appointed times and seasons for everything. So there's the prayer of faith. The, the simplest way to, to see it is right there. Now have a look at James chapter 5. Remember, we talked a bit about this last week, but the purpose of last week was to try to explain to you that the prayer of faith is one way you can receive healing. But we were prepping you for the Good Friday service to say that there's another way to receive healing, and that is the anointing flowing through an office or a minister, or anybody for that matter but primarily a minister. And, and we were saying the prayer, well, I was trying to show you the difference. You can receive it on your own. That's the higher flow. That's the prayer of faith. You can receive it through an anointing of somebody else, which is, to, which is important that we understand that there's nothing wrong with that, that God, God has these different flows for us. So you don't have to not come up on a, on a healing service because you're standing in faith. Are you listening? Yes. You don't have to not come up while I'm standing in faith. That's not the right response. That's not the right response of honor to the anointing on the minister. I know you're standing in faith, but you should still come up if you need the healing because your faith is working, but, you, but you're turning down a boost. You're turning down a re, a, 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 an energizing charge. And, and it's a dishonor to the anointing that is flowing in that service for you just to say, I, I don't need that. Now, if God tells you don't go up because I'm, I need you to prove this out, like Jenny was sharing on the radio, and you should be listening this week because she's sharing dynamite stuff at noon every day. I'm telling you, listen, people that listen, if they're listening with an open heart, people all over Toronto would get healed if they just listen because we're teaching some very important stuff from her testimonies of healing. But there are times where God will say, prove this out. I don't want you, I don't want you having somebody pray for you. Obey, obey that if he tells you that. But he's not going to tell you that every time. Do you understand? So don't dishonor the anointing when it's flowing. Come up. 
But I was just saying last Wednesday, there's a flow of getting it on your own. That's a perfect. There's a flow of the, the anointing flowing through a minister, and we were prepping that for Friday night. But I kind of spent a little bit longer than I planned on the prayer of faith because it just was so good. So then I thought, well, that's done. And then I heard the Holy Ghost in my heart say, no, you ain't done. Go and study it a bit more. There's a lot more. And go and look at some things Dad Hagen said, which, which I hadn't really. So I, I, I did some studying and some research, and I saw some more things that I hadn't seen before. And so I, I'm excited because when I, when I get new stuff, it, it just, it's like a, I feel like a kid on Christmas when I see these, these things in the Word because it, it helps me so much. And if it helps me, it will help you. So we see now, are you in the book of James? I gave you a very long time to get there. James chapter 5 and verse 14. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray for him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now just, just, just it don't get so hung up on the physical oil. We can anoint with oil, but you don't have to anoint with oil. Oil is symbolic of what? The anointing of the Holy Ghost. So we are transmitting the anointing. You can transmit the anointing without, remember we had you stand up there one time with the thing on it. Remember, remember that? We should try to do that again one of these days. But you remember that? So the, you can have a physical oil which represents the anointing. But listen, you can douse somebody with oil but actually not have any anointing flow. Do you know what I'm saying? I would rather have the anointing working, which is invisible, whether I've got the physical oil or not. Because some people will give you all the physical oil you want and more than you need. You're greasy all over. It's dripping down your face onto your tie, but there's no actual anointing because they're just dousing with this physical oil. It's just a symbol. So whether you got the oil or not is not really that important. What matters is that you have the anointing because it represents the anointing. Okay, i just just saying that, okay? All right. Any sick among you, let them call the elders of the church. Let them pray over him. Elders meaning not the board of elders because that's not scriptural. There are no board of elders. That's, that's Pentecostal people and Baptist people and all these different people that come up with all these wrong doctrines. Elders means fivefold ministers or the pastor. Okay, we don't have a board of elders in this church and we never will because it's unscriptural. I am the board of elders. There is me and then there was the associate pastors and then there's board members like him who's a minister. Ministers are elders. There are no such thing as a board of elders. It's unscriptural. And yet so many churches operate with board of elders because they don't interpret the Bible right. And they got all these businessmen that want to control the pastor on the board of elders because they're rich. And the pastor wants to keep them in the church, so he gives them a title called an elder. It's a bunch of nonsense. And then we got de demon-possessed churches or deacon-possessed churches where now the people that maybe, you know, the, then there's deacon boards and elder boards and the poor pastor is being like a pinball. He's been bounced around between all these boards. We don't have that because that's not scriptural. There's the elders and you can have accountability and we have, an, we have accountability here. We have boards. We have an accountability board. We have a board of directors. We have deacons. We have different things, but, but, but they don't, they're not here to control. And an elder means a fivefold office. So when it says call the elders of the church, it's talking about the pastor because there's nobody else in the church. You don't have the evangelists go and pray for you at your home. They don't do things like that. You don't have the prophet come and go to your home because they're not, you don't submit to them. They're not anointed to do that for you. They're anointed to do that in the church. But when you're sick at home, you call the pastor because that's who you're submitted to and that is the elder. Are you with me? Okay, it's important you understand that. You don't call another pastor that you're not submitted to. You don't call some person out there that you hear on the radio to come to your house to pray for you. That's dangerous. Because you don't know the spirit that they're under. 
You call those that you trust and know that have labored among you that, that, that you are submitted to. So call the elder, we could say the pastor of the church. Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil. In other words, transmitting the anointing more than the physical oil in the name of Jesus. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up or restore him to health, the Greek says. And if they, he has committed sins... They shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults or sins one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so I was sharing with you a little bit last week about the two contexts in the Greek. So you see that first word there? It says in verse 14, is any sick among you? That means physical ailments like you would normally think sickness. Then it says in the prayer of faith, verse 15, will save the sick. That does not mean physical sickness. It does not mean physical ailments. Although it could lead to that. What that word means is to be weak and worn down, to be exhausted and tired. Now that could lead to the physical sickness, but it doesn't necessarily mean physical sickness. And it's one of the only times that this word in the Greek is used. It's a rare word in the New Testament for this word to be in the Greek translated sick because it really means weak more than it means sick. Okay, are you with me? Yes. Uh, you know, I know some of you looking at me like, what is he talking about? <laughs> Just relax. So the person in verse 15 that is the sick one or the weak one, let's just use the word weak because that's really the better way it would have been translated is weak, not sick, okay? So let's say this, the weak one, that that person is, uh, is not necessarily physically sick, although they could be on the verge of sickness, or it could be weak and sick, but the primary definition is sick, is, sorry, is weak, okay? Now, this could be somebody that has been worn down because they have stood for a long time. Are you, are you with me? Yes. They, are, they are tired. Yeah. They have stood for something a long time. And they have worn themselves down, so to speak, spiritually. And they are weak, both potentially in faith as well as physically weak. Do you understand? It could imply that, but it could also imply and include uh, that these people uh, are weak because of strife. Because they have done things to the body of Christ, to their brothers and sisters, and they've gotten rows and strife and issues and infighting. And the reason we know that is because we see confess your faults. So there's a very strong inference in the Greek there, obviously because of verse 16. But even without verse 16, if you read the Greek lexicon, if you read what I've been studying and looking at different Greek uh, scholars that talk about this verse, they, they, even ones that are not part of our camp or anything, they all say there's a strong connection in the Greek that this weak person, this second sick is a weak person. This weak person has something to do with strife. That's why it says they're going to be healed and forgiven. If they've committed sins, it would be forgiven them. And then it says, confess your faults. So there is a strong, because that's what I'm saying, there's two contexts. There is the first word weak, and then there is the first word sick, and the second word sick. Now, if you read it together, it sounds like it goes together. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elder of the church. Let him pray for, over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. It sounds like the elder is praying the prayer of faith. And that's not necessarily not true. That could be true. But if you pause for a second and you look at the two words sick, you're really looking at the first one is physically sick. The elder comes, imparts the anointing, 
And then you got a second sick person who's not really physically sick, but is weak. Is weak most likely because of strife, strong inference. Doesn't always have to be that, but most likely because of, and not just weak physically, but weak in faith. Now that person, then the prayer of faith is going to work with that person. But is it that person praying the prayer of faith or is it the elder praying the prayer of faith? Because the contexts are separate, because really there is a pause between verse 14 and 15, the inference is that the individual who's weak is going to be praying the prayer of faith. But we don't want to get legalistic. It's not limited to that. Okay, so you can believe and it would be right to believe that a minister can come and pray the prayer of faith. It's also whether you're physically sick or just weak, the minister can come and pray the prayer of faith. But it is also fair to say that if you've been worn down both in faith and in your physical strength and you're weak, but you pray the prayer of faith yourself, there's going to be a healing that comes to you. But if it's connected to strife, a lack of love walk, you can't just pray the prayer of faith yourself and expect to be healed. Because what you have to do is you have to repent of that strife and that lack of love and confess that fault and make it right with your brother. And then the prayer of faith is going to save the sick. If there's a strife involved, which contextually in this passage, there normally is. Do you understand? So there's a lot of ways you can look at this. This is just a simple person who's sick. The minister comes and prays, category one. This is another person who's not necessarily sick, but they're weak. Could be weak in faith, could be weak physically. It's usually both. And there's nothing to do with strife. They're just struggling on something. And the minister comes and prays the prayer of faith. Or they pray the prayer of faith and they're strong. Or it could be they're in, they're in fighting, in fighting, and there's problems and lack of love. And now they're sick because of that. And now the minister comes and prays the prayer of faith. Or they pray the prayer of faith. And as a result of that confession of sin and the prayer of faith, they're healed. There's a lot of ways you could look at it, and none of them are wrong. I'm just saying contextually, both words sick are different words. And so we need to pay attention because weakness is mentioned here, not just sickness. And the prayer of faith, because of the two separations of verse 14 and 15, the Greek implies is that it's, it's implying that the person is praying the prayer of faith more than the minister, although the minister most certainly could. Are you with me? Okay, that, I know that sounds a bit boring, but I'm just trying to lay a, a foundation here. Okay, now there's also something else that's, that's interesting, Reverend Greg, which I didn't know. One of the Greek scholars was writing and said, in the Greek, there is a, there is a, a, a light, it's not heavy, a light inference that when it says, and if he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven, that it's not just talking about God. For, now, this is in the context of strife. If the person has done strife, because now it's talking about forgiveness. So there's some sin that has been committed, which is obviously strife in the church, because verse 16 says you have to confess to your brother what you've done wrong. So there's some kind of lack of love walk happening here. And it says in verse 15, if he, his sins will be forgiven. But there's a light Greek inference that says it's not just God forgiving that person. It's the pastor forgiving that person. Why? Because they've made a mess of the church, which I thought was very interesting. Obviously, God is the primary person that is, the God is the person forgiving the individual, not me, from that perspective. But there's an inference that when there's infighting in the church, it can cause havoc 
in the church. It can cause the pastor's job to be that much harder because he's instead of focusing on the lost and prayer and the vision, now he's dealing with babies that are fighting all the time and getting on each other's nerves. And now they're weak in their faith and in their bodies and potentially sick in their bodies because of the strife. And now he has to come and either have them pray the prayer of faith after they've repented or him pray the prayer of faith or maybe anoint them with oil or maybe a combination of the two. And he's a little bit annoyed with them. That's the Greek context. That's the Greek light inference. And he's saying, you need to forgive. You need to. And it's like, okay, pastor, would you forgive me for messing up the church? It's not just God, would you forgive me? It's pastor, I have mistreated the sheep in your pasture and I've caused you headache. I am sorry. That's a fascinating point. Because I'm telling you, in my years of pastoring, when people cause mess and when they cause it, they, they, they apologize to God, but they rarely apologize to each other and they never apologize to me. But there's something here that you've got to deal with God. You've got to deal with the person that you've offended and you should also show honor for the person that you've caused havoc for. I can see none of you are writing notes and none of you are excited to hear that. But that's okay, we'll just move right along. Now remember, Bible says, if a brother offends you, Greg, if a brother offends you, you're right, you can go to him and say, you offended me. And if you don't listen, bring elders and bring all the, and Dad Hagen, Jesus told Dad Hagen, that verse is for babies. Because the more you grow in God and the more you're not easily offended, you don't always have to go and make a big deal about every person. Are you listening? That offends you. You just deal with it. But while that applies to babies, this verse 16 applies to every believer all their lives. That is not if a brother offends you, but it is if you have offended your brother. If you are the offending party, not the recipient party. No, you're not the receiver. You're the offender. You better go and make it right. I don't care how old you are in the Lord. That never changes. Humility and repentance to the brethren never changes no matter how old you get in Christ. Making them come to you, you go over to them and say, you messed up. That's when you grow up, you don't do that. But when they mess up, they should still come to you. See, you're not initiating when you're hurt. You're just leaving it alone. But if they're smart, they'll initiate. (laughs) Right? Unless they don't see it. Some people just don't see it. But when you've been wrong, when you have missed it, and you know you've missed it, you better initiate and say to that person, I apologize. Before God, I repent. Can we pray together? I confess to you that I got upset with you, and I'm sorry. That's important to do because if you don't, sometimes you'll block the power of God working in your life. Now, the only time you wouldn't do that, because it's scriptural to do that, is if the Holy Ghost really tells you, in this case, don't. But in most cases, if you really have offended somebody, he will. Sometimes he'll tell you not for other reasons. But I'm just saying, don't, don't claim that verse where the Bible says, you know, go to your, you know, go to your brother, but I'm, I'm a mature believer, so I don't have to do that. No, that's when they've hurt you. But when you've hurt them, you go. You always go. You always go unless God tells you very clearly no. And you better make sure that it's God and not your pride. Well, I just don't, I just don't feel, bless God, I just don't feel like I need that. It's the Holy Ghost. No, it ain't. It's your flesh. You better make sure it's God if you don't go. Because you'll open up doors. 
And there'll be problems in your life if you don't repent of that. Amen. So, well, I think we've established that, have we not? Uh, so either, again, sick, two kinds of sick. Pastor lays hands when they're sick physically, verse 14. And the person or the pastor claims the prayer of faith when they're weak in faith or weak in, in body. But because there's sin attached to that, they have to make sure they make it right. Once they make it right, they'll get healed. Whether they pray the prayer of faith or it's prayed for them or they're anointed with all, either way, it doesn't really matter. Let's not make it legalistic about that. The point is they'll get healed. It doesn't really matter whether you pray the prayer of faith, they pray the prayer of faith, they anoint you with all. The point is not really about all that. I'm dividing it for context, but the point is really if you're sick, God wants you healed. He's just trying to get over to you how you're going to get healed. Well, you better make it right if there's strife. And if you're weak, but there's no strife, well, then you better call for some help instead of just suffering in silence until you can't take it anymore. Because that minister can come over and help you and pray the prayer, pray the prayer of faith for you and anoint you. If you're just weak in faith, he doesn't need to anoint you with oil because you're not physically sick, but he can pray the prayer of faith with you. But if you're weak in faith and you're weak in body and you're sick in body, he can pray the prayer of faith and he can anoint you with oil. And that's where we don't have to get legalistic because when the minister goes, the minute God is leading the minister. In this case, do the oil. In this case, don't. In this case, just pray the prayer of faith. In this case, have them pray the prayer of faith. There's a, there's a flow of the spirit in each of those, in each of those meetings. You just, this is just the general context scripturally of what is permitted. It's permitted to anoint with oil and say, be healed. It's permitted to the minister to pray the prayer of faith. It's permitted for them to pray the prayer of faith. That could be because they're physically sick or just weakened body or just weakened faith. There's so many ways you can cut this. He's just showing us there's a lot of scenarios you're going to encounter with the believers. This is kind of how I want you to handle it. But be, pay attention because the main part of this is pay attention. There is often strife connected with people's weakness and sickness. Now, how do we know that that is scriptural, interpreting scripture with scripture? I think you know the scripture I'm going to go to, don't you? Do you? I don't know. Maybe you don't. 1 Corinthians chapter, come on now, help me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. What does it say? We read this all the time in the, in the, in the, in the communion. Verse, uh, say, man, I took the cup, saying, the cup of New Testament, my blood, do this, obviously, drink it, and remember to me. For as obviously, drink this bread, eat the, eat the, drink this cup, eat this bread, show the Lord's death. We, think, we read that every time we do communion. But we don't usually go to 27, so go there. Wherefore, whoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That means if you're mocking and you're just making it a meal instead of showing reverence. Most people don't do that. But let a man examine himself, examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That doesn't just mean the elements of the cracker and the grape juice and the physical body of Jesus that died on the cross and that is in heaven. It also means the spiritual body, which is the person beside you. The person in the body of Christ, whether they're in this church or not, if they're born again, they're in the body. You are commanded to discern them. That means if you are unforgiveness toward them, strife toward them, mocking them, making fun of them, hating them, maybe they did a job for you and they didn't do a very good job. Get over it. It's not worth it. And if you can't get over it, don't hire Christians. Hire sinners that you can sue. I'm serious. I'm serious. Because the Bible says if you are in the church, you've got no business suing each other. No business. You've got to treat them right. 
taking them before a secular judge is not treating them right. I don't care if they cost you money. I don't care if the deal fell through or your bathroom wasn't renovated or you didn't like the way you did your taxes or this or you didn't put the thing in the car right or the, it don't matter. You got to treat them right. You can't hold aught. You can't sue them. You can't take them before ungodly judges. This is the Bible. People don't even know what's in there. So don't hire Christians. If you can't guard your heart, hire sinners that you can sue. If you really have a hankering to sue. Are you listening? If you're going to hire somebody in this church, you better have set in your heart already, whether they do a good job or a bad job, I'm walking in love. I'm not holding it against them. I'm not leaving the church because of it. And that person that you, that is, you are trusting with your money that is doing a service for you, that is providing a good or a service for you, they are obligated under God to treat you right and give you the best that they can possibly give you. Because it's one side for me to say, no matter what they do, I'm going to walk right. But they're there on the other side thinking, what a joker he is. I know what, I'm going to fleece him. I'm going to take him to the cleaners. I'm not even going to do I'm going to take the money. I'm going to do this crappy job for him. Right. Now, this person who's been shafted has to walk in love because they set their mind. But this person who's in the same church or in the body at large is mistreating the first person by doing a bad job on purpose. Why? Because they think they can take advantage of you because of the love walk. God will hold that other person accountable for that. So if you're giving the service, you better do a good job. You better do a better job for your brother and sister than you would for some sinner going to hell. And if you are hiring the believer, you better treat them right no matter what kind of job they do. That's good preaching whether you like it or not, I'm telling you. Because this strife will open doors. It will cause sickness and your faith won't work. That's part of the reason why he has to repent and then pray the prayer of faith or he has to repent and then have the minister come and pray the prayer of faith because something's not working right with his faith. That's why he can't get healed, right? That's why he's weak. That's why he's worn down. Okay, you still with me? Oh, we, we didn't finish now. Come on now, Taylor, we didn't finish the scripture. Discerning, not discerning the Lord's body for this cause. This is the reason why some of you are weak. We see the word weak. See, that's the word, that's the same word that we see here in the other one that they're translating sick. Some of you are weak and sickly and sleep. That doesn't mean napping. It means you die early. Okay? Weakness starts with weakness. If you're getting weak on something, pay attention. It will lead to sickness. If you're sick on something, pay attention. It leads to premature death then it's too late because you're in heaven. So what do you do? Not discerning the body, not treating believers right will cause this to happen. By the way, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. Uh, yes, I try. Sorry, I don't know why that thought, that song came to me. I'm a believer. So when you treat your brother and sister right, you got to treat me right. You're a believer. I don't just treat pastors right, I got to treat you right. Amen? Praise God. Okay. Are you still with me? Yes. So we see, we've shown, we've shown the different variations of what 14, 15, and 16 could mean. It doesn't mean it has to have strife, but it's a strong indicator that often it does. That's why it's listed twice about forgiveness and sin. Yes. 
It could be the minister praying, prayer of faith, could be the person praying, could be the minister anointing with oil. There's a lot of different ways this can happen, but what, what God is trying to say is pay attention. If you're sick, there's a reason. If you're weak, there's a reason. If you're weak in your body, there's a reason. If you're weak in faith, there's a reason. There's ministers that can help you, but they can't do it all for you. You've got to live right. You've got to act right, and you've got to forgive right. And then I'll help you, and I'll help you through the minister, and I'll help you a variety of ways, but I'll help you. Bottom line is I'll help you, and I'll heal you. Praise God. Amen. And by the way, you see the word says prayer of faith in verse 15, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. If you look it up in the Greek, it literally means the claim of faith. The claim of faith. So when I say, when Jesus said to Dad Hagen, claim whatever it is that you need or want, that word claim is, which is one, the first of our eight C's, that word claim is actually Greek scripturally contextual. Because to, to have the prayer of faith in operation, Mark eleven twenty four, 24, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them. That word receive, you could put the word claim. Believe that you receive them when you claim them. Because claiming, the prayer of faith means the claim of faith. You are laying claim. You are laying hold. You are reaching out the hand of faith and you are taking it. I take it now, it's mine in Jesus' name. There's a claiming and a laying hold of things. And actually the Greek means the claim of faith more than the prayer of faith. So I just think that's interesting. That word claim is, is, is a very scriptural, contextual word to use when we're talking about faith. I guess Jesus, having written the Bible, kind of knew that. That's why he said, claim whatever it is that you need or want. Tell the devil to take his hands off, tell the angels to go cause it to come, praise. But claim it, because claim means to take. Claim means to believe you receive. Claim means the prayer of faith or the claim of faith. I didn't know that. That was new to me. All of you nodding your head like this is old hat to you. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Oh, I, I knew that. And I'm thinking, well, that's great that you knew that. Maybe I'm behind the curve, but I did not know that. Okay. Now, obviously, can we talk a little bit about Dad Hagen? Obviously, Dad Hagen believed, verse 14, simply, somebody's sick, you go, minister goes, and prays. And whether it's oil or not oil, the point is he prays, he imparts the anointing, and, he, and, they, and they're healed. That's a very basic interpretation. That's not hard to understand. But he had a focus, which I thought was fascinating, Jenny, and I didn't know this until I actually started to study it and talked to other ministers who knew him personally, and they give me some insights because he's preached thousands and thousands and thousands of sermons. You can't always listen to every one of them, and even if you have, you don't always remember what you heard 12 years ago. So sometimes it helps to talk to people that were around him, like Pastor Jay and other people that worked for him and were physically near him and, and, and were with him at Rhema and worked in the healing school. And sometimes they remember things by that one-on-one interaction that I wouldn't have had the privilege of, of, of having, right? But, uh, but in, in my study on this, uh, he didn't just teach, obviously he believed verse 14, that's simple. But when it comes to verse 15 about the, the, those that are sick or weak, the, the, he, he taught something interesting on this, which I, which I want to just bring attention to just for a second. And that was, he taught when it comes to sick or weak in verse 15, he mainly focused on it being weak in faith more than weak in body, although both would apply. But he focused on that people can get weak, because that word sick, the second word does not mean physical sickness, it means weakness. But he focused not just physically weak in body, but the bigger issue is that they're weak in their faith. And he focused on why would somebody be weak in their faith? Because when you're weak in your faith, you're not getting things from God. 
So he focused on the weakness of people's faith that we see in verse 15 here. And the prayer of faith shall save the weak one. He didn't really care that much about who prayed the prayer of faith. He just was not, you know, or who anointed with oil. He was focusing on why is the person sick? Why is the person sick? And I think that's the right way to look at this. It's, we can get all into the dividing up of the context of the Greek. And, and while that's interesting on a mental level, it doesn't really get to the meat of it. Who really cares who prays the prayer of faith? Whether it's the minister or you. That's not really the point, is it? We know the minister can anoint you with oil because it says it clearly, but the, the prayer of faith could be either, you could look at it either way. But that's not really the point. What Dad Hagen was focusing on is not the logistics. He's focusing on why is the person sick? Why are the, because they're weak in their faith, they're sick and they can't get well on their own. So why is the person weak in faith? Could be weak in body too, but the bigger issue is not weakness in body. If I have to pick one, what am I going to pick? Weak of body or weak of faith? I'm going to pick weak of body because weak in body, I just get a couple good night's sleeps and whatever I'm about. But weak in faith means I can't get nothing. Weak in faith is the bigger issue. And so he focused on, let's focus on the bigger issue. It could be both body and faith, but let's focus on the weak in faith because that's the real issue here. Why is a person sick and why can't they get healed? If you look at weakness of faith, it answers a lot of questions. So when he taught the weakness in verse 15 is the weakness of faith more than the weakness of body because that's the bigger issue is your faith, not just your physical body. Because if you're strong in faith, the weak body will change. But if you're weak in faith, even the strong body will start to deteriorate. So the bigger issue is weak in faith. So he really emphasized the weakness of faith in verse 15. And he, he taught that from two perspectives. One perspective, obviously, is right here, contextually, scripturally, right there in the English and in the Greek, which is the lack of the love walk. So can we just talk about that for a second? Because he talked a lot about people are weak in faith and therefore possibly in their bodies and therefore possibly even sick in their bodies because weakness turns to sickness, according to 1 Corinthians eleven thirty, because of the lack of love because of unforgiveness, because we see that clearly in verse 15 and 16. And so I, I, I love the story that he would often tell, and I'll just, I, I'll just kind of give you the gist of it, is that uh, he would talk about this man that, 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 he, that he knew back in the 40s, and uh, he was a wealthy man, and he, he was part of a church, and he wanted to build. He was like a, you know, I guess we would call him a funder. He had money. He wanted to help build the physical church. But he wanted a different kind of church built. And same thing when you've got money, sometimes you think you own the place, right? But he wanted a different kind of church built than what the pastor wanted and then what other people in the church wanted. And so he got into strife with the pastor and with other congregation members who were siding with the pastor about, well, that's, I don't want to build it that way. I want to build it this way because I'm a rich man and I'm helping fund this. That's dangerous. I don't care how rich you get, you better watch it because you don't control the vision. And rich people sometimes forget that. Okay? And it's a lack of, it's a lack of humility. It really comes down to pride. And so he got in strife and what happened? He got sick. Now, now, now the pastor had been teaching faith. Because 
Dad Hagen would go to that church. So they would teach what Dad Hagen taught them, and that was how to pray the prayer of faith, Mark 11, 24, and how to get healed. So that man, the rich man who's in strife, and sickness came on him because he was in strife. He's trying to pray the prayer of faith, and guess what? Prayer of faith ain't working. Father, I believe I receive. I claim my healing. I see it on Jesus on the tree. I take my healing. It doesn't work. Why don't it work? Until finally he realized, oh, I have violated a divine order. And I've gotten strife and unforgiveness and a lack of love with my pastor and with congregation members over something as trivial and stupid as what kind of a church building they build. And it's really none of my business to begin with. So what did he do? He couldn't get his healing. So I think this is a wonderful story. Dad Hagen often told the story. He called in his home. He called the pastors. And back then they had elder boards, which is not scriptural, but, you know, they did because that's typical assemblies of God. So they, he called the pastor and he called the different people that were elders, that were leaders, we could say. Okay, he called them. He called them all to his home in his living room. He's sick. And he can't get healed. And he basically repented to them and told them that he was wrong for trying to control the building structure because of his money and that he was wrong in getting in strife. And then he said, now, pastor, I've, I asked you to forgive me. Brothers, I asked you to forgive me. I was wrong. And now that I've made this right, would you plead? It wouldn't have mattered. He could have prayed the prayer of faith. He would have got healed. The pastor could have prayed the prayer of faith. He would have got healed. They could have anointed him with oil. He would have got healed. It didn't matter the logistics of how that flow happened. The point is the repentance and the love walk opened the floodgates for healing. But he just said, pastor, would you please anoint me with oil? And the pastor was so happy, he poured the whole bottle of oil over his head and the man jumped up because he was really sick. And when that bottle was emptied, he jumped up, covered in oil, and started dancing around the place. And he was instantaneous and totally healed. And all those brothers and the pastors celebrated and rejoiced in the rich man's home because God had instantaneously healed him. Now, it wasn't the oil. It wasn't even the pastor necessarily imparting that healing anointing, although it was. But he could have prayed the prayer of faith himself at that moment, and he would have had the same result, instantaneous healing. The method that the healing came to him wasn't as important as the blockage being removed. What was the blockage? He tried to be a control freak. He used money as an excuse why he had an opinion. You can be poor, and you can be rich. You don't have opinions. And the more opinions you have, the harder it's going to be for you in the local church. Because the more opinions you have, then when it's not according to your opinion, the more it takes for you to, you have more to get over. You have more to stumble over. Whereas if we just decide you don't have an opinion and pass, Lord, I have, I have preferences, but I'm not going to get opinionated about how the church is run or if we have three songs or seven songs or if we have four fast and two slow or four slow and two fast or whether we have green chairs or black chairs. I'm not going to get opinionated whether we, do the, whether we do communion after the worship or after the service, whether the carpet has little circles on it or whether it's plain. I'm not going to, because I'm telling you, we've had people leave the church over every one of these things that I've told you, including the color of the grape juice. People left the church. Every, <laughs> telling kids to please, mom, could you please keep your kid? Because they're screaming bloody murder in the service and the parent won't control them. They get offended to leave the church. It's amazing how many people leave the church over the most ridiculous things. It's just astonishing to me. But that's, see, that is being opinionated. 
If you just stop the opinions, you'll find you, you'll get along better with the Holy Ghost and with the flow that that church has. Hallelujah. You can have preferences. You're not, you're not robots. Just don't tell anybody your preferences. Can I be honest with you? I know we're live streamed, but I'll be careful. You know, can I be honest with you? I have preferences of how I like things done, and not everything at Pastor Nancy's church is my preference. It's okay for me to have a preference. What's not okay is for me to vocalize it. When you vocalize a preference, it becomes an opinion. Nobody wants to know your opinion. And here's the problem with social media. Because the whole social media platforms are all geared to what do you think? What is your opinion? Tell us what you're doing today. Everybody wants to know about you. And in reality, nobody wants to know about you. Nobody cares what you think. And nobody wants your opinion. But the social media platforms, I'm telling you, it's a strategy. That's why they're so popular. Because everybody wants to feel like I am so important. I'm telling you, they did a study on why Starbucks took off and it ain't the coffee. Do you know why Starbucks took off the way it did? Because you have to make seven decisions to get your cup of coffee. I want grande, I want this, I want non-fat, low-fat, this fat, I want this sugar-free, da-da-da. If you look at how many decisions you have to make to order a Starbucks cup of coffee, it goes up to about seven decisions, three to seven. And they have proven that it made people feel powerful. I am important because I get to decide what you're going to do for me. And that subconscious feeling of importance, they want to know what I think. They want to know what I want. People love it. Whereas, you know, I just want double, double. It doesn't doesn't have the same impact. (laughs) Give me double, double. I don't feel powerful when I say double, double. But when I say I want grande, low-fat, sugar-free, extra hot, I want a shot of this and a shot of that and make put extra foam, put caramel. I've just said nine things, and by the time I'm done the order, I'm like, whew, man, I know what I like. I know what I like, and I get to tell them what I like. People love knowing what they want and telling you what they want makes you feel important. I'm telling you, it's not that their their coffee's that great. It's that the ordering process does something in people's brains. And the coffee's good. They couldn't have garbage. It wouldn't work. But you know what I'm saying. They have a good, they have a very good product. But it's not only that. Because there's a lot of places that have a good product. So... I say all that to say nobody cares about your opinion and nobody cares about my opinion and we need to be opinion free in the body of Christ. Lots of preferences, but not vocalized. And then you'll get along with the flow. You get along with the flow. You know, well, you can have a preference about what you like in somebody. That's what's called making friends. You like this person. Why? Because you have preferences and they appeal to your preferences. If they don't appeal to your preferences, you tell them your opinion of them and you're no longer friends. I'm not trying to be philosophical. I'm just telling you the truth about it. I'm serious. But every now and then, and there's only a handful in your life, Reverend Greg is one of them. There's only a handful in your life where they may not be your preference, as is the case sometimes. 
and when I vocalize my opinion to him that I don't like what he's doing and he tells me he don't like, I'm, t- I'm talking about Pastor Sheep, I'm talking about beyond that because yeah. we were friends long before I ever pastored. But there's very few people in life that if they don't meet all your preferences and you vocalize the difference which is called an opinion, that they love you despite the differences of opinion. And when you find people like that, hold them close because they are precious and they are far and few between. Because most people, when you tell them you vocalize your lack of preference for them and you tell them your opinion, that's it. Offense, I don't like you. Anyway. And most of our preferences are the same, Greg, but every now and then there's a glaring difference. (laughs) And I do tell you. (laughs) But he's just too pure of heart to hold it against me. Praise God. Amen. Are you still with me? Now, the second way he taught, he said the weakness of faith is because of the lack of love walk. But then, of course, he also said the weakness of faith is not because of strife, but just because the person is weak in faith for whatever reason. Lots of people can be weak and not because you're, because you're not in love. And he would give this example a lot of times. He would say there are people in the church that he pastored for 12 years. And he said sometimes they had sicknesses that were long-standing sicknesses or mental torment or situations with their husband or with their children. And it was just an ongoing, long-standing battle. And they're standing in faith and they're doing what they know. And they're not seeing change. And the daily grind of dealing with the person, the situation, the sickness is wearing them down. Are you with me? And he said, now that is not strife. That is not a lack of love or unforgiveness. That is just being worn down by tests and trials. And he said, now those kind of people are weak in faith because they're just worn down. And he says, now, that's why he wrote the book, What to Do When Faith Seems Weak and Victory Lost. Because if you'll do that, which includes a lot of praise and a lot of confession, you'll pull yourself up out of that weakness of faith. Okay, but he also said, when you find people like that in your church, he told pastors, but I'm telling congregation members, because all of you can do this, not just me. In fact, I need your help. I can't do it all myself. It's not possible. That's why there's something called leaders. But whether you're quote unquote a leader or not, anybody can do this. He said, if you find people in your church and it's not a strife issue, And they're just tired. They're just worn down. They've just been dealing with something for a long time and they're just tired in their faith. He said, what you need to do is run to them. Come to them. Hold them. That doesn't just mean physically as a hug, but go to them and say, I will hold you with my faith. I will surround you with faith and love. I will pray for you. Brother, I will not let you go. You're my brother. I will stand with you. This will churn. I know you're weak, but I'm not going through what you're going through. I can bring my faith to help you. And the pastor, he would say he would do that as a pastor with people. And he called it, I held them in the spirit and wouldn't let them go. Do you understand? Now, when you got a church of 12 people, 15 people, 30 people, 40 people, you can do that. When you got hundreds of people, the pastor just cannot always get to every person. That's why congregation members can be trusted to run to that person and say, sister, brother, I sense that you're weak. Talk to me. Tell me. I'm just, don't just hit their confession at that moment. They don't need a confession police at that moment. What they need is somebody to listen and understand. And when I go to people's homes and I can see that, I don't get into their confession right away. I just say, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. And sometimes it takes a physical hug. Sometimes it takes holding their hands and let them cry. And that's okay. We're not emotionless human beings. Sometimes they need to know somebody is there and they're not alone in their fight. 
And then I say, now I'm going to hold you with my faith. Now you can say the same thing. You don't have to be their pastor. You can say, I'm going to hold you with my faith. We're not, I'm not letting this go for you. We're going to have victory in this era. It's going to turn, my brother. And then that spirit of faith comes on you. And then that anointing comes on you. And then before you know it, the power of God is starting to flow. Now at that point, you can pray the prayer of agreement if they're strong enough to agree. Because if you know as soon as you leave, they're going to start negative confessing everything and killing your prayer, then the prayer of agreement is not the kind of prayer to pray. But intercessory prayer, you can pray. And are you listening now? And I'm getting into some other things. But you can actually, to a measure, pray the prayer of faith for them. To hold them for that moment. Because they need it. So Dad Hagen said, when you're weak in faith, it's usually either because of a lack of love, in which case with the man, the rich man, remember? The wealthy man. Or it's just because of long-standing trials. And either way, there's a way out of it. And the pastor can come to stand with that person. And if they can't even pray, pray the prayer of faith for them. And if they can build them up a little bit, then the person can pray the prayer of faith. And if they're physically sick, the pastor can anoint them with oil. But also a congregation member can come and stand with them. And, so, and this one, I'm, I'm really asking some of you to be more aware of other people instead of just your own little bubble. Because if you hear of people that are really struggling or you have it in your heart, or you know, you, whatever, you hear through the grapevine or whatever, it's okay to call people and encourage them. I don't want you calling and try to prophesy, you know, their future. I see a horseman of the apocalypse coming. You're about to lose your job. No, I don't want that kind of prophecy. And I don't want correction. The Lord tells me the reason you're doing this is because you never baked enough pies for the church. I, I don't want correction and I don't want foretelling prophecy. But, you, but, but the simple gift of prophecy is edification, exhortation, and comfort. Some people need comfort. They need to be encouraged or edified. And they also need to be exhorted, which is to talk, basically to talk truth and doctrine. Now, brother, listen, the Bible says, and God is with us and he's not going to leave us. See, that's called exhortation. Encouragement is, brother, listen, I'm not letting you go. I'm going to hold with you on this. That's edification. Comfort is, listen, I understand what you're going through. If you need to cry, I'm here for you. And you know, there's a place in the body of Christ for all those three. And every member of the body, minister or not, pastor or not, is charged by God himself to bring edification, exhortation, and comfort to the believers in that body. So if you see somebody or hear of somebody that's going through a hard time, don't wait for me to call them. You call them. In fact, call us because we may not even know that they're going through a hard time because I've noticed over the years, people that go through really hard times, they don't even tell the pastor. They're embarrassed. They feel somebody's going to judge them. They feel like I should have better faith than this. I should be stronger than this. And then they suffer in silence and we don't even know unless God shows me. So if you know something, tell us. But also reach out to that person yourself and love them with edification, exhortation, and comfort. So there is, there is different ways that we handle this. And we got to hold these people, Jenny, in faith and love that are weak because of this terrible test and trial that won't seem to break for them. Now, are you still with me a little bit? I only got eight minutes, but let me just summarize this. I found this interesting, and I didn't realize that Dad Hagen, I mean, I remember it when he said it, but I didn't remember it. It's like way back in the back filing cabinet, kind of fell behind the cabinet, and it's underneath the cabinet, and it's gathering dust. So my, my mental faculties didn't reach underneath the cabinet. It only reached to the back file. And then I remembered as, as, as I heard it, but I forgot it, to be honest with you. But Dad Hagen said these things. We already know the first one is that you're the prayer of faith, 
Mark eleven twenty four prayer, the claiming prayer, the laying hold prayer is primarily, and he always used the word primarily. Why? Because it's not solely. It's primarily to meet your own needs. Now, we said that last Wednesday. The prayer of faith is primarily for, that's why you can't pray for the nation with the prayer of faith, because that's beyond you. You can pray other kinds of prayer, but not the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith is primarily for your own needs. Not only, but primarily. Your needs, happy, would include your wife because you're one. They would include your two children because they're under your care and they're young enough. And then, do you remember last week, I kind of said, well, that's kind of like it. It's, it's me, it's me and Jenny, it's me and my boys. And then maybe me and my congregation because they're like spiritual children, but I don't know how all that works. I said that last week. I don't remember how all that works because sometimes God won't let me pray the prayer for a congregation. Other times he will. And I've often wondered why. Why is sometimes he's letting me do it? And why is sometimes he's not letting me do it? He's never explained it to me. I just know sometimes don't do that. And other times go ahead and do that. When I'm praying the prayer of faith for you as a congregation member, your need becomes my need. I lay hold of it with you as though it was my own need, as though you were my own wife or my own child, or though you, as though you're myself. I put every ounce of faith I have for your answer. But sometimes he won't let me pray that for congregation members, and sometimes he will, and I've never fully understood Pastor Happy why. But I just follow that inward witness. I don't violate that. If he says no, I don't know why. I just don't do it. I pray other kinds of prayer, but not the prayer of faith. Do you understand? So when I was studying after that, Hagen, he answered that. And, and, I, and I learned something valuable. So the first is, prayer of faith is for your own personal needs primarily. And then he said, under certain circumstances, you can pray the prayer of faith for others, and these are the circumstances. Number one, he talked about how he would carry his son Ken, Ken Jr., we call Pastor Ken now, on, his, on the dad's faith because he was young and God didn't expect him to know how to use his faith. And because he had authority in his family's life as long as they were young. So he said when Ken grew up into his young man years, he didn't give it an age, but I'm assuming it's in his 20s, God would not permit him to pray the prayer of faith anymore for Ken. Now you see, last week I said, I can always pray the prayer of faith for my kids no matter how old they get. But you see, I'm not, I don't have that by experience. I have that by theory because my kids aren't too old. They're still at the age. So I haven't lived long enough and for them to grow up high enough for me to ever have that experience where the Holy Ghost said, you can't do that. He's always said, go ahead. Why? Because of their age. If I was 10 years older, I would be able to tell you by experience, I can only pray for my kids such and such time. But, but they're not old enough, so I've always had the green light. But Dad Hagen said God would let him pray for Ken until he was a young man. But he didn't say the age. A young man, in my mind, would mean after you've graduated high school, because before you graduate high school, you're, you don't know anything. You think you know everything, and you know nothing. Right? You don't know life. You don't know bills. You don't know marriage. You don't know anything. And even when you're in university, you still know less than nothing. But now you think you're all that because you're in university. But the point is, he didn't say an age. He just said while he was a young man. So I would assume late teens, early 20s. I think that's a safe assumption. But now listen now. The condition was he could pray for himself anytime because it's his faith. He could pray for his wife anytime because she's his wife and you're one. He could pray for his kids when they were young, but not when they grew. 
God would not let him pray the prayer of faith for Ken. And if Ken didn't learn to get it on his own, Ken didn't get it. Unless he's in a service under an anointing like every other Christian that can get it. But when it comes to healing, he had to learn how to take it on his own. But God gave him grace up to a young man's age, which is, I'm assuming, late teens or early 20s. So I thought that was fascinating. I've never experienced that by experience. But eventually, Quinn and Cole, they're going to have to learn how to do this because God won't let me carry them forever. But they're still of an age where he'll let me carry them. And I'll, he'll let me carry you, Jenny, till the day I die. Praise God. <laughs> and, and I'm looking forward to carrying you because you're light as a feather. Praise God. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> now, this, now, another condition of praying the prayer of faith for others is he would say that he was able. Now, this, remember I just told you I didn't understand why God would let me pray for congregation members and other times not? Well, he answered it. See, he is more experienced than me. He knows more. He said God would let him pray the prayer of faith, taking it as though it was his own prayer, his own problem. For his congregation members, not other congregation members, only his congregation. So I got that right last week because I did say that. Give me some credit. But only while they were part of spiritual babyhood. As soon as they had sat under the word by God's standard, which sometimes is different to man's standard, because you might say, well, in three years you should get it, but God knows that individual is going to take him six years. But God is the perfect judge, so he knows how long people take. So that's why you have to be led by the Spirit. You can't look at dates and calendars and go, Lorraine, when do they come? You've been three years and one day, I'm not praying for you. Three years is the cutoff. You're on your own. Because what if that person needs seven years for another person that could take three years because their comprehension or their attendance at church. You don't get it unless you're here. Do you understand? Some people, they don't come very often. It's going to take them more years to get things, right? But he said, whenever the Holy Ghost would lead him, you cannot pray the prayer of faith anymore for this congregation member. He would know they're into their adolescent spiritual years. Now they're on their own. Now I can minister to them by the anointing in an altar call, but I can't pray the prayer of faith taking their need as my own need. So now that's good. That's good for me because now when I know that God doesn't let me do that, I can now tell the person before it was like, I don't know why, but I can't. But now I can tell them, you're an adolescent, or you're middle-aged, or you're really old. I don't know. But spiritually, you're not a baby. I can't, I, you've got to do this on your own. That's why sometimes I can, and sometimes I can't. Interesting. In fact, his congregation had a phrase for it. They would say, pastor used to have it, but he lost it. That's what he would say. The people that we wouldn't pray for anymore, they would go, oh, it's okay, pastor, you lost it. Meaning... You used to be able to pray for me, but now you lost it. Why? He didn't really lose anything, but that's their vernacular because what he's saying is, I didn't lose anything. You, you're supposed to grow up, and now God won't let me carry you like a baby. But they said, Pastor, used to have it. He could pray for me. Now he lost it. He can't pray for me. I got to pray for myself. People didn't like it when the pastor lost it because people want the pastor to carry them forever, but that's not the way it works. You can't carry your baby forever. Physically, they got to grow up. they got to take responsibility. Are you still with me? So now I understand this a little bit better for my congregation. Now he also said, I'm almost done. He also said about uh, praying the prayer of faith. Now this is fascinating. He could, God would let him use, God would let him pray the prayer of faith for a relative, not wife, husband, or children, but for a relative in his family 
but he could only do it once or twice. And he would give examples of that. Why? Because God expected that family member, when they saw the demonstration of healing that came because he prayed the prayer of faith for them, he expected, God expected that family member to either get saved or to get into the right church. And if they're in the right church, to start learning and applying it themselves. And he said, never would God let me pray for a relative more than once or twice the prayer of faith after it was on their hands because he showed them a demonstration of healing by the prayer of faith. But they're too lazy to pick it up. And I thought this was fascinating. He would not, God would never let him do it past the first cousins. I'm not saying that's a doctrine. I'm not saying that. But he wasn't like third cousin people. Even never, it, wasn't, it was people in the immediate family. It wasn't far out there. It's almost like his faith could go a certain level out beyond his own sphere of influence. And this is Kenneth Hagin, who is like the titan of faith, okay? So, I mean, if, if, it, if God wouldn't let his faith go beyond the cousin level, I highly doubt he'll let our faith go. Now, I'm, I'm ta- listen, don't get me wrong. You can pray for anybody by the laying on of hands. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about taking their need as though it's your need and you alone are carrying them with your faith. They are not bringing anything to the table. You can't even pray the prayer of agreement because they won't agree. They have nothing to offer and you are carrying 100% of the faith load yourself. That's what I'm talking about. God would only let them do it with relatives once or twice to give them a taste of God's power. Then they had to pursue it. And even then, he wouldn't let him go out way out yonder to all the second, fourth, fifth level kin. God would only let him do up to the first cousins, grandparents and different things. Interesting, isn't it? Because God is very particular. He doesn't just want people to get everything for free. He wants them to learn. But if you don't know, he'll let somebody demonstrate it for you out of mercy. He might even let that happen twice. But after twice, he expects you to get it. Isn't he... He's so pragmatic. God is so fair. He is so fair, and yet he doesn't let people take advantage of his mercy. Hmm. Praise God. And, uh, and then, he, now this, and I'll end with this. This is technically not the prayer of faith, but it is kind of the prayer of faith, but it isn't. But he would say, when he would talk about this, he would talk about the prayer of faith, he would say, now, praying the prayer of faith is like, Father, I believe I received it today. But he said, now you can release your faith for someone else without praying the official prayer, but it's still in spirit be the prayer of faith because you're releasing your faith for their need. But you don't have to go through the whole, Father, your word says, I see it in your word. I believe I receive it now according to Mark eleven twenty four. 24. I claim it. I take it. It's mine. Devil, take your hands of it. I praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You don't have to go through all of that because that is releasing your faith in the official way. But you could just be around somebody and, be in, and just feel like, you know what? I'm going to release my faith for that person. And you just believe. Technically, that is the prayer of faith, even though you haven't prayed the prayer of faith. You're still releasing your faith. Are you understanding me? And he gave the example about a man that was going on a trip with him. And the man got in the car, and the man was talking about his blood sugar, and he had very bad diabetes. And he said, as long as you're around me on this trip, your blood sugar will read perfect. And the man didn't really believe him. See, he didn't have no faith. But Dad Hagen released his faith for that man even though he didn't do the official prayer, but it's still, from that perspective, the prayer of faith. 
And that man kept checking his blood every few hours and the blood sugar level was perfect. The entire trip had never happened to him before. And he said, my God, I'm healed. Listen, my God, I'm healed. No, he wasn't healed. God was doing that because of Dad Hagen's faith, healing was flowing as long as he was in proximity to him. Now, when the trip ended, they parted ways. The guy called him later and said, my blood sugar's through the roof. He said, I know, because I told you as long as you're around me. How do you explain that? The healing power was working in that case by proximity. It was emanating off Dad Hagen and going into his body and keeping his blood right. But as long as once he got away from him, that, that, em, that healing was not emanating from him. So really, he wasn't healed. He was responding to healing power that was in the same vicinity. Do you remember that, that child with the, with the quadriplegic? And Norval Hayes walked past and instantly, see, in proximity, the child responded to healing power and became normal for about 10 seconds. Once he got away from the proximity of Norval Hayes, he went back into his crippled state. There was the child healed? No. But for that moment, he was responding to proximity. Are you listening to me? So the healing power can be so powerful that just being around somebody you respond. That doesn't mean you're actually fully healed. You're responding. Your body's responding to that power. Now, if that man, listen, after that experience had said, now, Father, I got a taste for what healing feels like. Now I reach out the hand of faith and I pray the prayer of faith over myself and I take my healing. He would have, he would have remained healed, not just in proximity. Or if he had said, Brother Hagen, would you pray for me? God may have allowed him if he was a spiritual baby. God wouldn't have allowed him if he wasn't. But God allowed the proximity for a certain period of time. I think that's fascinating. Praise God. Amen. But he could have just taken it on his own. Or he could have said, Brother Hagen, God won't let you pray the prayer of faith for me, but would you minister the healing anointing as if I'm in a church service? I believe that God's anointed you with a special anointing for healing power. Now, right in the car, I put my hands up. Would you please impart that? Would you transmit healing power? See, now Brother Hagen can do that with anybody. Because that's not the prayer of faith. That's the transmission of healing power. Because the person believes in that anointing on their life. But if he had said, Brother Hagen, uh, I don't really believe in that you have an anointing for that. But, you know, could you just pray the prayer of faith? Could you just carry me? Then it would depend on if he's a believer, a strong believer, or a baby believer for God to let him do that or not. But God gave him a taste by proximity. I think that's fascinating. I think that's fascinating. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to learn these things because I want to be more skillful in me praying the prayer of faith for congregation members, in me praying the prayer of faith for my children. What about my family members? What about my relatives? What about strangers, Christian strangers? I want to learn how to do that so that I'm more skillful. So, Pastor Dan, when, when you get to that place and, 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 and God says, now go ahead and do that, then you go ahead and do that. But he won't always let you do that because people have to grow up. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, I was walking around the back. There was a man with a back condition. I didn't know he had a back condition. And I'm not thinking, I did, God didn't tell me to hit him. I'm just a friendly person. And I just, I was just, I just kind of pat him on the back as I walked past him. Just like, hey, brother, I didn't say because we were singing. I just kind of hit him on the back and just to say hi. He come afterward and he said, I haven't had a back condition. I'm instantly and completely and totally healed. All the pain left. As soon as you touch me, he thought I had tried to minister healing to him. And all I was saying is, hey. You know what that shows me? When you come to church, 
releasing faith for healing. You can get healing whether they're hitting you for fun, whether they're laying hands on you seriously, or whether nobody touches you at all. Because he came believing God for healing. And I was just slapping him to say hi. But my hi was God's healing. Why? Not because of me. I wasn't even aware of it. It was because of his faith. So come to church with faith. I, I, I don't want to share names because they haven't given us permission yet, but we've had some wonderful healings in the last week. Some people with lifelong issues been healed in the last, in the last week or so, and especially in our, in our healing service. And so I just, I just, I just, I'm so excited that God is touching people's lives and God is helping people. And remember, that flow of healing is not for the prayer of faith unless he tells me to. And now what have we learned? He'll only tell me to if that person is spiritually young. Because that flow is the impartation of healing, the transmission. It's not for the prayer of faith. So remember, you can pray for anybody, sinner or saint, any family member, don't matter who they are, if you just lay hands on the sick. But if you're going to, but now you're just, you're just laying hands. It's not you're taking their need like it's your own. You're just laying hands. But for you to take their need like it's your own, it God, there's limitations. And, and, and God will let you do it a couple times for people, but not for everybody. Because remember, primarily, it's for you, for your wife, and for your children, as long as they're young. Father, I thank you for Dad Hagen. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for ministers that have gone before us to light the path in front of us so that we'll understand how these things operate, that we'd be more skillful with your word and how the prayer of faith works so that we know how it works for us primarily, but also for others with, with certain conditions. Lord, I thank you that the prayer of faith will work for every person in this room, no matter what they're going through, if they will just release faith in your word and believe that they receive it and claim it. It's the claim of faith. If they'll do that, whether they're sick, whether they're struggling in their mind, whether they're struggling financially in their marriage, whether they don't know how, what decision to make, their job's not working out right, whatever that is, if they'll just come to you and, and pour it out before you with all the details and say, Father, I see the answer in your word. I take it now in Jesus' name. I claim my answer. I claim my freedom. I claim my healing. I claim my financial help. I claim it. I believe I receive it now. Lord, if they'll do that, you'll answer any prayer every prayer and every time. If they can't, then they can come and they can get help from time to time. And I thank you, Lord, for the delineation of your word tonight. I thank you that we want to be skillful in understanding these things of prayer. You've helped us, Father. So I give you praise. In Jesus, Jesus' name.